You're listening to the Summer Camp Music Festival Podcast with your host, Camp Counselor Derek. Ahoy, summer campers! Welcome back! So, this is the first episode of the year, and the first since the lineup was released for 2019. How about it, folks? Of course, Mo and Umphreys are back to host. I see Zed's Dead and Big Gigantic returning, Revolution, Grammatic, uh, Flux Pavilion. I'm honestly not even sure what the last couple things I just said are, uh, but lots of love to all of you who do know. And, uh, well, let's talk quickly about the list on down the line from there. Uh, Black Star, which is Mos Def and Talib Kweli, uh, are they going to be there? Uh, Toots and the Maytals are on the bill, people. Uh, Trampled by Turtles are going to be there. I think they're also touring with uh, Summer Camp Veterans Avid Brothers this summer. Uh, who else? Jeff Austin will return to camp this year after after some years. Keller Williams, uh, who was on episode four of this podcast, is back, of course. The Mummies are back. Sun Stereo's back. Corey Wong of Wolfpack will be joining us, and, and so many more great artists. Uh, but folks, I didn't mention two bands on purpose. Is there a backstage battle of Bruin? Because we have two bands that have a well-documented lead singer feud. That's right, the Chris Robinson Brotherhood will be at camp. But will Chris come out of his trailer if John Popper of Blues Traveler is in the area? Or maybe the feud will end and they'll, and they'll just be sitting together and playing in a musical peace treaty. All at scamp, people! So I, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. There, there was a time some years back where Chris Robinson and John Popper were both on Howard Stern, and it was reported that Chris didn't like John and didn't want to come out into the studio until John was gone. Um, of course, I believe they have since made up, but it's fun to start some shit, right? But anyway, see what I did there? Uh, our guest today is none other than blues traveler guitarist Chan Kinchla. Now, those of you who know me well know of my affinity for Blues Traveler. Uh, by the way, the, the real Blues Traveler fans will cut anyone who puts an S at the end. It's not Blues Travelers, people. Um, so Chan was nice enough to endure my barrage of Traveler nerddom and fanboyishness, if I can make up some terms. Um, so here, well, here's a clip of that. My guest tonight is one of the greatest musicians, <laughs> rock musicians. I mean, I guess songwriter ever. Remember when you were with the Beatles? Sure. Sure. That was awesome. Yeah, it was. So I don't have any earth-shattering summer camp news for you. I do want to let you know that Mo is playing the Brooklyn Bowl with Pigeons playing ping pong, uh, also on the summer camp lineup this year. And that is coming up pretty soon after this airs. That, that's going to be on February 22nd. And as I record this, there are still tickets available. Uh, in Umphrey's news, Joel Commons just released a book called The Realist's Guide to a Successful Music Career. I'll be checking that out, and I think you should too. Uh, if you've lost your internet connection or unfollowed Scamp altogether, you may not know that there are VIP upgrades available. Uh, that's... VIP, RV, VIP, and the Umphreys VIP package. Uh, I will say this. 
that there was a time when I didn't get the VIP. I, I may have even turned up my nose at it for a couple years. Uh, but they turned it into something you, you really do need to do. Uh, the VIP tent can save your whole day. Uh, the VIP showers and bathrooms can save your whole ass. And while I never want to focus on the bad, the worst part of, of summer camp is getting in, right? Uh, so don't get me wrong, that, that's also what makes it great, because we're not by our cars. But, but in all honesty, it's just easier to get through in VIP. So that's all I'm going to say about that. Miss, what does the I stand for? Uh, important. Ooh, how about the V? Very. Oh, and miss, just one more question. Person. Ah. What does the I stand for again? Uh, as always, if you have any questions, comments, gripes, life musings, good drugs, or advice, you can email me at podcast at summercampfestival.com. On to the interview. Chan Kinchla is the guitarist and founding member of Blues Traveler. Uh, Blues Traveler will be at Summer Camp 2019, and this will be their second time at camp. Uh, here's the interview. Stick around for the jam of the week featuring a past camp performance from Blues Traveler. Hey, summer campers. I am here. I'm very excited to be here with Chan Kinchla of Blues Traveler, the lead guitarist of Blues Traveler. How are you today, Chan? Excellent, and very well pronounced. Hi, Derek. Nice to be here. <laughs> Thanks. Um, You'd be Canada, surprised how many ways that's been butchered over the years. Really? I mean, didn't friends help you with that, Chandler? Well, the Chandler part, it's the last name. That, oh, it's yeah, Kinchla? Chandler I had some difficulty with, but it's the last name, Ch- Kinchla, which is Gaelic-Irish, but, you know, it's strange. It's a lot of consonants jumbled together, which freaks people out. <laughs> I guess I guess I could see that. I don't know. I mean, I've I've been a fan for so long that it, it never even occurred to me that that would be a thing. But uh, well, that uh, comes you, in and, handy. And, well, while we're on the subject, um, I, I I have a standard first question, but I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna slip this one in before I ask it. Um, it when when John introduces you, he often adopts a French accent. I, Does I, I he? feel like it's. If it's, if it's often, Mr. Chandler, Kinchler, and the guitar. Yeah, I, you know, Lord knows what's going to come out of his mouth when he's on stage, especially by that point in the night, which is usually at the uh, encore, which yeah. might be towards the, uh, the more, uh, the, the party's well underway by that point. So <laughs> I just kind of go with the flow at that point. Um, I, I was trying to remember, I have an old recording somewhere, and I, I didn't dig it up um, but he used to uh, he used to do your nicknames, like your childhood nicknames. And I remember uh, Ben Scooterbox Wilson. I remember somebody was Fluky Magook. It, it, you know, those are usually just like inside jokes of the months or the tour. You know, when you're on tour together, silly things come up that kind of that you just kind of bandy around for for the tour. And so, a lot of times, those will make it into the to the introductions. Yeah, uh, that so makes they're sense. changing. They're kind of changing. <laughs> that makes sense. You never know what to believe when John says it. Um, That's very true. That's very true, especially on stage. Another related story. I I once took a picture with him, and I asked him. This was uh, probably '94 or something, and I and I asked him. It was at a Tower Records signing. It 
maybe it was 95, it was around the time the, uh, his solo album came out, and I asked him to take a picture with me and do something funny, and I was thinking, like, act like you're going to punch me or something. He proceeded to force my head between his crotch. As That's if funny, I was, though. As if I was blowing him. I mean, That's it funny. Been, it would have been funny, but I was struggling so hard to get my face in the picture <laughs> that, that you can see that in the picture. I'm clearly struggling in the picture. It looks, kind of so it looks, it looks, it's not the kind of thing in, in this new era we're in that would be appropriate. But back in the 90s, that was fine. I mean, it's, it's okay because, it, because we're both men. <laughs> I think. Oh, I guess that's that how it works. Well, I mean, that's just how guys interact. They give each other shit. Right. All right. So, yeah, well, that sounds like John, 94, way back when. One of the great things about the record uh, industry imploding is less record store signing sessions, which, you know, it's nice to meet the fans, but would usually lead to very awkward afternoons. Yeah, I'll bet. And I, I've been I've been within range to talk to you a number of times, but I I just never want to be the guy that's like, hey, I really like you guys. Like, and that's what's nice about this podcast is it, it gives me a forum to actually ask some of the questions without approaching you after a show. Oh yeah, where and, and you it's, it's, a, it's a nice place because after the show, asking questions, you know, too specific about the band is a little offsetting. Yeah, especially oh, when you're sure. kind of just winding down from a show that. The interview questions then always seem a little. <laughs> you're you're gonna get some strange answers. Yeah, well, and I always but offer you may now. to do this in person. But uh, <laughs> what I've gathered is that nobody wants to do a podcast on the day of the show. Like people want to relax. No, no, yeah, it's it's tough. Um, for for during the show, I mean, you expend a lot of emotional and kind of mental energy for the performance. And so, I mean, after years of doing it, I'm very much this way. I don't like getting into too much um, thinking or, or, like, serious conversations, in the, you know, leading up to a show. Because by the time you get to the show, you're kind of distracted. Your, your brain's a little tired. Yeah. It's, it's all about kind of quiet, chill afternoon before you go on stage. Usually, because you, you want to play well. So you yeah. don't want any distractions from that. Yeah, you want your focus to be in the right place. I mean, it's just, I think it's its akin to um, I, when you go see a show, you want to make sure that you have eaten at the right, I mean, that, this is how I am. This is how neurotic I am about shows, but I want to make sure I've eaten at the right time so I don't get hungry yeah, during the show. Because if you eat too close, you're going to be sleepy and digesting. Yeah. But you well, don't want to eat too far away and be hungry and not be able to keep a few beers down. Yeah, and and you gotta have you gotta have the right number of drinks or whatever your thing right. is. Not too many. <laughs> yeah. And or other, whatever. Exactly. Um, so okay, well, I, I know we've already been uh, on on the call for uh, a, a little while, but my the first question that I ask every guest on this show is, uh, what was your first concert? And and by that I mean. Um, you know, I know some people grew up around music, and that's hard to pinpoint, but what was the first concert that had an impact on you? Well, my very first concert was David Bowie, Let's, Let's Dance Tour, like big, big-time concert. Wow. Um, that's a good one. And, uh, you know, I started out when I first got into guitar in, like, the you know mid-'80s. I was, like, 11. 10, um, I was really into, like, punk rock and new wave and all that. Oh, no, there was a concert before the David Bowie show. This is a great concert. I saw the police 
at Veterans Stadium, it was um, Madness. So it was R.E.M. Here's the lineup. R.E.M. first on their first record. Madness, One Step Beyond Fame. Then Joan Jett, who was uh, kind of out of place there, but she was still pretty awesome. And then The Police. And uh, I pushed my way right up to the front. Had to be like 83, 84. And it was a veteran sitting right up. I, I'm a big guy, so I got right up to the front. And uh, that was pretty miraculous. I saw David, that David Bowie tour, Psychedelic Furs. David Bowie was great because he was kind of punk rocky, but he kind of was my gateway into more classic rock. Because mm-hmm. by that point, I was getting a little better at guitar. And uh, Psychedelic Furs, just a great band. And then uh, U2, I saw all those bands coming through back at that time in the Jersey area. But the first one was that police concert. But that's how, how great a lineup is that? So those were all in Jersey. When did you move to Jersey from, from was it near Ontario where you grew up? Well, I, I was born in Hamilton, Ontario in Canada. My dad was a professor up there at Mass University. And at four months old, I moved to Princeton, New Jersey. Oh, okay. So we I, I all realized you Princeton. Yeah. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. Four months. I don't remember Canada very well. Uh, yeah, I would, I would assume not. Um, and so then you, uh, what, you met John and Brendan in, in high school in, in Jersey? Yes. We had a great, uh, great music program at Princeton High School, and they had uh, like a whole like, little suite or section for mostly big band is what they were famous for, and they did we won a lot of competitions. And Brendan and John were in that, this big jazz, uh, big jazz band. Um, and I was – but I was in there as well doing – an improv class and but what was great is they had these little studios in an amp room so you could go in get an amp and sit in these little these little uh cubicles that were all soundproof and just play so i would go to school so that was i wasn't really i was, i would just go i would go to school get really baked and go sit in there all day and skip class and just practice my guitar that's where brendan and john saw me all the time so that's how we met cool and I read that you eventually uh, had to decide between music and football. And well, yes, injured. and that's, I, I did play a lot of sports in high school, and uh, 
and I'm a big guy, so I did get um, a lot of schools wanted me to go there to play football. And I really loved sports anyway, so I was, you know, it was definitely a, a, at that time, it's hard to say, but um, I loved the band, and at that point, I deferred a year, to, and we moved to New York when I was 18, and just started playing little little dives in the Lower East Side. Um, at that point, we didn't even really have any gigs. But, uh, so after that year, though, I was so hooked into it, I could never go back. To, I, I just ended up going to NYU for a semester, and then all of a sudden, we started getting real gigs, and off we went, but... That was a quick turnaround, too, right? I mean, it, it went from not having any gigs to quitting your jobs and meeting yeah, David I mean, Graham. Yeah, we got after it. We moved there when we were, like, 17 and 18, and the first year was pretty bleak. Um, and then by the second year, what we started doing is just throwing our – by the second year, there were a lot of bars in the Lower East Side that just put different bands on every night. So we were always in their face, hanging out, watching the actual good bands that drew crowds. And then they would just give us like Mondays and Tuesdays and there'd be like five people in there, but we could play from 10 to like four in the morning. Is this pre wetlands? Oh yeah. Wetlands was, was a few years in. Gotcha. This is pre any club, you'd know the name of it was at the, the main one was this club called Nightingale. Okay. The Nightingale. And that's where that... we, wetlands found us. We were kind of the Kings of the Lower East side by that point. And, uh, and when Wetlands opened up, they pulled, they had us come over. Spin Doctors have a Nightingale song, don't they? Is that a... Sure, we were. They came. Chris Barron, the, or as we know him, Chris Gross. We, we, went, we went to high school together, uh-huh. and we got him to come into New York. He actually um, was in Blues Traveler for a month, but he did live with us as well. And then we couldn't have John and Chris Barron in the band. It's just it's too much lead singer. It's just too much. <laughs> I think it was too much lead singer for the both of them as well. Regardless, yeah. we're still good friends with Chris. Um, it's fun to hear them go back and forth, though, as, as singers. I like hearing, I mean, for yeah, yeah. the older recordings. Yeah, yeah, and they would do that in them. high school. They have a long history, the two of them, and they would do that yeah. in high school. And just So there's a, there's a lot of history there. But the um, John and Brendan were going to the new school, which is a music school in New York, and, that's, and Chris ended up going there, and that's where John, I think, introduced them to Eric. Um, Shankman. So the mm-hmm. Doctors kind of came came up in that same kind of scene. We were there a little before them, but yeah. And then, I mean, before then, before long, all of a sudden, you're playing next to Carlos Santana. Is that a yeah? Well, let's see. We got got really big in New York, and then played up at Columbia. I'll just trace the roots to how I got to trade looks with Carlos Santana. Cause, but um, we were like we were like the you know the band the bar band in New York. We were played all over New York and mostly downtown, like the, the, the village and uh, Lower East Side. But we got a gig up at Columbia University at this um, frat. And David Graham, who was Bill Graham's son, he just uh-huh. know him, was, a member, was going to Columbia University at the time, was a member of that frat. Well, he liked us so much. That he, and he was kind of about to graduate, was looking for some have a band to manage or with his dad or something like that. And he really liked us. So we got, that was just a lucky connection. And next thing you know, Bill Graham's managing us who, um, and, and then, and we got signed around the same time. A lot of stuff happened around that time. And the unfortunate thing is playing with Carlos was actually at Bill Graham's memorial. It was after he passed away. 
And, you know, I, I, I did kind of gloss over the, the name Blues Traveler um, coming from, uh, and, and, and this is one of the exciting things about talking to you, is there's so many things to cover. Uh, I mean, you, you've been in movies. You're, you're a movie star, Chen. Yeah, an E-list <laughs> celebrity. <laughs> an E-list celebrity. So uh, just for, for the fans that don't know, so Blues Traveler uh, it has sometimes been credited with the, the Traveler part of that coming from Ghostbusters. That's uh, indeed goes, it. We, goes we the kind of had this concept when we jam and play that like this fifth entity would kind of enter. At the time, we were four-piece. And uh, we kind of wanted to name that. Like when the four of us played, something else came kind of came in the room, and we wanted to name that. And that was right around when Ghostbusters out. But we kind of liked this whole Traveler, the Traveler entity. We probably should have just called ourselves the Traveler. Cause, but at the time, we were called Blues Band. Yeah. And we had just moved to New York, and we had, like, you know, 10 fans, so we didn't want to lose that core following. So in, in typical Blues Traveler uh, awkward fashion, we just stuck them together. But, it, you know, in the end, it's made for a kind of interesting name. So, Well, I, um, I have to confess to, to you and, well, I, I guess to the listeners, so my license plate, uh, one of which uh, possibly somebody in, in Blues Traveler has one, um, is a B T R V L R five. Awesome. Uh, I I uh, I wanted Traveler as the license plate, and I think you know this was like my third or fourth choice down the line uh, was uh, Blues Traveler five. Yeah. Um, and then it, one year you were playing Ravinia, and you guys were all nice enough to sign one for me. Um, I, I I didn't I remember you seeing one. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody brought it backstage to you, and then brought it back out to me. But then. This guy, I was up in the pavilion, and this guy, I mean, he saw that I had this plate, and I was like, well, you know, maybe, maybe I'll try to give it to them. But, I, you know, again, I don't, I don't want to interfere with the show in any way. And this guy just plowed through the crowd, grabbed me by the arm, did not give me a choice, grabbed me by the arm and dragged me all the way up to the front of the stage and then handed it to, I, I think he handed nice. it to John. But then I saw it. <laughs> The rest of that tour, uh, my license plate was up on, on the front of the keyboard, which I always thought was awesome. <laughs> oh, awesome. So, That's why I, I don't know. It. Yeah. And, and well, the, re the only reason I was able to do that is because they had changed the license plates in Illinois, so I had to get new ones, um, which I, I still have the same BTR, VLR5, but uh, I, I had to give up the old ones, which were kind of the cool old Illinois with like the Lincoln face on them, kind of like almost more like the Blues Brothers. I'm sure it's it's like in a storage place somewhere. Because our gear will come off the road usually and go into storage. Yeah. And and then when they pull it back out, they uh, you know they'll take just the gear, but a lot of the accoutrement. Because you know, every tour you gather some interesting things. <laughs> well, <laughs> so they actually end up getting tucked in a little corner of storage. So. That leads me to my next question, because um, I'm sure you you've got a lot a lot of stuff like that over the years. But uh, where do you keep your Grammy? I am actually in my living room right now, and I usually kept it used to keep it in my bathroom, my old place. In your bathroom? I used to keep it in the bathroom. I thought that was a nice touch, like right on the toilet, because <laughs> you know I'm super cool. <laughs> but now great. I just have it on top of I have like a cool little funky bookshelf in the corner of my. Uh, rec room and uh it's right next to a like an old-fashioned camera from my dearly departed dad that he had so it's cool two cool little things but 
you know, the older I get, the more I take it seriously and treasure it. When I was younger, I was too cool for that. <laughs> the funny thing about my Grammy, though, is it's been to so many kids' show and tells, like nephews and my kid, my both my boys. Um, and if you give a ten year old a Grammy to take to show and tell in class, it turns it into a petri dish. <laughs> so it's my Grammy is all beat to beat the crap, but um, it's all from school show and tell. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, well, on the same subject, do you ever so? Uh, just for the listeners, uh, the uh, original bass player for Blue Traveler was Bobby Sheehan, who, who died in uh, 99, I believe. 99, yep. And uh, so your brother uh, took over after that, who is also a phenomenal yeah. player, Ted. He was actually him- at the police concert as well. Oh, nice. So if, if <laughs> I ever uh, if I ever have him on the podcast, I'll, I'll have to ask for his, his second concert. Yeah. And which that probably would have been his first. He's younger than you, right? He's a couple years. Younger yeah, than he's you. three three years younger. He actually passed out from heat stroke at that concert. Um, <laughs> uh, well, but, it was a hot Jersey day, but uh, or Philly, Federal Stadium was down in Philadelphia. But so just you have some dirt on him. Mike, my, my question would be: Do you give him shit about not having a Grammy? Well, there is that too. We lord we lord that stuff over the new guy, Tim and Ben. Regularly, <laughs> oh, that's what and I mean. all our platinum records and all that stuff that you know back from the a different era, the nineties. <laughs> I mean, I I was at at least two of the killing off of the uh, Black Cat New Year's Eve oh, New Year's, terrific. But definitely at the at the ninth life, which I think was uh, and I guess for the fans, I should explain that you guys. Uh, that original jam that you were talking about, I believe, earlier, uh, has been dubbed the Black Cat Jam. Right. And uh, so you guys had this thing where every New Year's Eve you would kill off the Black Cat again. And uh, I believe I was at the ninth one, which was the Black Cat died in a fire. I think. You know, because we were in Chicago, so it was the fire, yeah. the Chicago fire theme. We try and keep, we try and keep it. And you know, strangely enough, we. The, Cat had nine lives, you know, the famous, the famous uh, legend. And but the next year, Bobby died. So we kind of figured that was kind of, you know, it was kind of weird. We did kill the cat nine times, and Bobby passed away the next year. So we haven't really done a New Year since, in the traditional yeah. sense. But you do have uh, a pretty solid hold on Red Rock. We sure do. Alive. God bless the wonderful state of Colorado. And I mean, how how is it that you guys managed to secure that all these years? I mean, I well, um, we have a good relationship with the promoter. We always do good business, thanks to the wonderful people of Colorado. Um, and you know, they uh, at this point we they just give us first choice: you going to do it or not? And we say yes. So that's awesome. Um, it's. It's just it's, awesome that part, it's a tradition for them as well. Yeah. And, you know, it's just a crazy honor to be part of such a tradition of such a kind of legendary venue. I mean, for us, it's definitely always one of the highlights of the year. And yeah, for, I have actually, I'm, years. <laughs> I'm trying to do my bucket list venues, and I haven't actually gotten to Red Rock. Oh, yet, you haven't so. made the Red Rock? Well, no. as a music fan, as I can tell you are, yeah. you need to move that up on the list. <laughs> you need, you, I, you must prioritize. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's going to get there. Well, and, and speaking of, I should tell the listeners that uh, I just saw today, actually posted by Leftover Salmon, that you guys uh, have announced your July 4th show this year will include Leftover Salmon, who are uh, summer camp veterans, and Jackie Green. Yeah, can't wait. It's going to be, we've, we've actually done some touring with Leftover Salmon here and there over the years as well. So that's a great bill. That should be fun. Yeah, uh, leftovers a blast. They uh, are summer camp staples. They uh, Vince Herman has been on the podcast. He actually got stung by a bee. That's one of my probably my favorite moment on the podcast. Just wild podcasting. Yeah. Well, of course. I mean, it's Vince. It took like the third call to get him, and and then when I did get him, he was out hiking in the woods. And uh, yeah, just mid interview, he just <laughs> okay, Vince. That's terrific. Um, and last year they were caroling after their show at night. They were going around to um, the RV section. And what they would do is they That's would knock hilarious. on the door. Somebody would come to the door. They'd play a song, not say a word. They'd just play a song and then just walk away. That's awesome. <laughs> That's That'd be so typical. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And, uh, well, I mean, actually between summer camp and – uh, and 4th of July this year, I believe a day or two after summer camp this year, you celebrate a big birthday. May 29th. May 29th. That's, oh, yeah, it's my 50th, it's my 50th birthday. It's your 50th birthday. And I think that's like a day or two after camp. So as far as I'm concerned, uh, maybe we'll do a little, maybe I'll have a little fun at camp. I was going to say, as far as I'm concerned, summer camp is your birthday party. I'll, I'll take it. That sounds <laughs> fun. That's great. Yeah. I mean, I don't feel a day over 25. That's one of the um, pluses and minuses of being in a rock band with your high school buddies for 30, 30 years, 30 plus years, 33 years. So there's parts of me that really hasn't evolved much past that when we got together in high school, because I've been in a kind of hermetically sealed bubble with yeah. knuckleheads. Um, so it's funny. I still consider myself like that knucklehead kid who moved to New York when he was 18. Well, I think I mean I'm I'm 41 now. I'll be 42 just after summer camp. I, like I think you just I think everyone perpetually feels 30. <laughs> yeah. You know. Well, see, for me, it's more like 20, 23. Even though I was, I really look back at myself at 23, I was such a profound knucklehead. I hope <laughs> I've evolved a little past that. <laughs> um, I think kids usually force that. Yeah, it's true. I've raised two. Yeah, it's kind of fun. My kids are about to finish up in the – I've got a 15-year-old and one kid in college. He's 21. So right around 50, I'm kind of – while I'm still young and nimble, past the dumb of the kids, I'm trying to figure out what my next move is going to be for my 50s. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe I'm going to pick up up guitar or something. (laughs) Maybe. Are, Are either of them interested in music? My um yeah they they both like music a lot my my older one's way more of like a intense academic intellectual nerd um but my younger one's actually giving me a chance to toot my own horn he's the lead in his he's at a going to performing arts academy here and, and he's the lead in their school play which he's been he's opening night to two weeks and What's he the is play? um the play is Rent oh cool yeah which is a great play which I actually saw that. That's set in New York back in the late 80s, back when we lo- lower east side. I mean, those were 
that was our whole theme back then. So it's kind of interesting for me. I saw that for the first time this last year. And I, you know, I'd kind of always been aware of it, but I had trouble taking it seriously because of Te- what was it Team America that ruined it for me? Uh, yeah. Anyway. AIDS, 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 yeah. Everybody's got AIDS. AIDS, 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 AIDS. I don't, it, no, like, they were making fun of, they were making fun of rent. They were making fun of rent, but be, because that was so ingrained in my brain when I finally saw rent, it, you know, the actual, the whole Broadway but production. But the crazy thing was, is back at that time, in the low, low, late 80s, there was no cure, and there literally, yeah. there were like people dying of it everywhere, like all over the Lower East Side. You see people like covered over, and it was like The Walking Dead. It was so gnarly. So it's hard to imagine what it was like now. But back then, it was really like the Black Plague or something. I mean, especially the Lower East Side, which had a lot of um, a lot of drug addicts and a lot, of, you know, a lot of uh, there was a big gay population. So it was pretty. Uh, it was everywhere, and so it was a really hard, actually really hardcore thing. So the Team America thing is pretty funny. <laughs> for, for a second, I, I was thinking, well, is he going to know this reference? And, and then it popped into my head that, oh, yeah, you've probably seen that movie since you guys walk out to Team America. Yeah, America. On stage. America, F, yeah. Can you swear on, on podcasts? Fuck yeah, you can. Yeah, sounds good. On this one, you yeah, can. Yeah, America, fuck yeah. That's, that's the game. <laughs> The funny thing is, is we that that's typical. It's like uh, we just had that movie on repeat one summer on tour. You know, we just played it a bunch, and so all the little inside jokes we were just using on tour, and eventually it, um, as I was talking about before, it, it uh, seeped its way into the actual. Cold. Yeah. <laughs> well, you guys have been uh, uh, associated with so many movies. I mean, you you were in Kingpin, you were in Blues Brothers, we were. in Roseanne. Yes. Oh. Speaking of, do you do you still uh, are you still invested in that? Do you still watch the the new Roseanne or the new Connors? Well, um, I actually haven't seen the new Connors. They used actually Runaround for the um, the promo for it, um, but no, I have not seen the new Connors. Um, I don't really watch a lot of network television. I'm more of a yeah. sports news guy, but. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, doing those shows, those are the kind of things that are kind of like the cherry on top because they're just, it's really different than what our bread and butter is, which is touring and being in the studio, which are things we take really, really seriously. And, you know, we really, that's that's our, our main thing. But so when you get to do, you know, being the Coen Brothers movie, we were also in Blues Brothers 2, which is really neat. We were in The Doors. All those things because they're just so out you of the You were in The Doors? Get, I didn't we know that. Were, it is the big scene where they're having like some, big party in in the Golden Gate Park that's one of the scenes and we're like a band playing in the background huh. but it's a huge yeah. crowd of people so it's not and the music's not our music or anything so we're kind of just extras but gotcha. we uh, have to, but we are, find that. we're in it but all those things are, are real neat you know um, neat for us so you know we definitely cherish those kind of fun uh Sound projects we get to we get to do. Yeah, I mean that's a ton of fun. Um, well, I know I've I've already kept you beyond how long I promised you. I got I just got a couple more for you. Uh, no problem, man. Hit me. Uh, Two thousand. Oh well, here here's a question for you, and and I sure. I don't expect you to know the answer, but do you remember the last time you played summer camp? I not that long ago, probably six years ago. I'm thinking 
If yeah, I, I was guess. thinking when I had to guess, I was thinking oh, maybe was even like, shorter. It was two years ago. No, it was two it was, years uh, ago. You, no, you were close. You were close. It was it was five. It was 2014. See, boom. You know the one to really ask about this is my brother, who's been in the band since 2000. He remember he's like Rain Man about gigs and dates and venues. I'm usually <laughs> I've played just way too many places. I I remember when I get there. I remember, but. Yeah, that's what I would think. Sometimes. Yeah, and that's why I said I didn't. I didn't expect you to remember. I wouldn't, but I did even, I wouldn't good. even expect you to remember the layout of the festival or anything like that. But I do. Uh, it I was, suppose, there's wide cornfields all around it. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a pr- pretty open space. The, the nice thing yeah. about this festival is that it's not. Um, you don't camp by your car. You camp inside the festival, um, which is, I remember it being great, great vibes and and uh, yeah, great crowd. We loved it. That kind of creates for this uh, family, and I use that term in quotes, but it, it creates this family atmosphere where um, where everybody's camping next to each other, not not with their cars between them, and it kind of forces everyone together in the woods. Which That's great. Nice. No, I remembered it. We remembered it. We were, we were great. We were very excited um, that that we got that this year. Yeah, it was, uh, I'm excited. Uh, this will be my 19th of, of 19, so... Uh, wow. Nice and, effort. Yeah, thanks. At some point, well, and actually, here's here's one thing. Uh, one year, I had I had just broken up with a girl, and you guys were playing Hookahville. And I thought, well, I'm, I'm not going to go to summer camp this year. I'm going to go to Hookahville and see Blues Traveler, and, which is in Ohio, in a farther drive. And uh, I got on the road and just drove to summer camp anyway. Which is, <laughs> so I almost... Didn't go to all of them, but uh, that year, uh, yeah, I, I, I. And we were almost the reason. Uh, you were the yeah. You were the you would have been exclusively the reason why I didn't go to summer camp that well, year. Well, now we're coming to you. <laughs> You're coming. That's right. Um, and well, I feel like uh, the only thing that we haven't talked about, uh, and it's nice to talk about the summer camp stuff. Uh, I feel like I should plug your new album. Um, oh, indeed. We, um, hurry up and hang around. Is that is that your hurry up and hang around? We, um, yeah, we just call. Yeah, hurry up and hang around. Um, the nice thing, and one of the, the things I think that's kept us pretty, um, kept us together and kept us kind of interested in in playing is constantly working on new records, writing new music, and um, but we kind of thought that we maybe had. <laughs> We weren't, this kind of came together with, without us really consciously deciding to make a record. We had, we had done a, we were just kind of, we had, it was our 30th anniversary a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. So it's a year and a half ago, two years ago. So we, um, we got together just to put, maybe write a song to um, put out for that or put on some compilation. We weren't sure. And, um, but the previous two records we had, um, for, we had, we had done one where we worked with a lot of outside songwriters just because we thought mm-hmm. that would be interesting. Um, and then, well, then there was the, the next one was Blow Up the Moon, which we actually did collaborations with all these different uh, actual bands and wrote songs with them, which was another fascinating project. And uh, when we got together, we had kind of all these pent up songs and kind of we were really looking, it seemed like we, had, we were needing to write just back the old school way where we just sat in the room and uh, in a circle and just worked out, worked out songs. So all of a sudden the two songs just 
uh, kind of steamrolled into a, an entire record. And, uh, and we, we, we wrote it all up in Nashville, and then a month later came back and recorded it. And it, um, I think, really woke us back up to what, you know, to, to the, the joy of making songs that, that are just in-house, which has its own unique flavor. And, uh, and it came out as a lovely result. And the, we, we play, you know, we'll play a couple, even if you're just prepping in a couple of those songs a night so as not to completely beat the crowd over the head with new stuff. Um, it really helps change the dynamic of the whole show. Is there a, a so I cut a lot of music in here. Is there is there a particular song off of Hurry Up and Hang Around that that you're you're attached to these days? Um, uh, you know what's a great one I really like is Fall Down. When you fall down. Yeah, when you fall down. How about this? Uh, of, of all the songs you've recorded, what is your uh, favorite guitar solo in any of your songs? I mean, I have one, but I, I, it's. I don't. It's tricky because I don't necessarily love all my own guitar solos. <laughs> um, to be honest, the guitar solo I did in this last record for the song "Accelerated Nation" came out really well. I'm yeah, pleased totally. with that one. Um, what's your favorite guitar solo? I'd be interested to know. Well, I, it, my, I mean, it just my whole my favorite jam of of anything, and and I'm a jam band guy, so right on. I, you know, take that for what it's worth. But um, it, sweet talking hippie, both the guitar solo and the harmonica solo, that's like my my favorite jam. Well, like that's just, yeah, and that's the classic um, kind of window in the blues traveler in like New York City bar band. I mean, that was our yeah, just kind of our vibe when we were playing these little bars in the Lower East Side. We would, you know, stretch songs out from ten to four, so we we didn't have that many songs. So it was a lot of freeform stuff.
and that is a great one, and we still play that song to this day. Oh, of course, yeah. Maybe not quite as long as you used to play it back in the day. Well, we we cut off, we <laughs> do the front, well, we we cut off just the back end where we did like a little, he does a little, yeah, it's pretty much, it's it's pretty long, yeah, not as long as on the record. I, yeah, well, I was thinking there used to be times in, in, in the old days when Sweet Talk and Hippie would, would go into three other songs and come back and have a vocal jam. And I, I, yeah, I suppose you still yeah. do that. Well, we okay. still do that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And there's also a song, Go Outside and Drive, we used to use as a vehicle oh. that yeah. go on for forever. And that stuff's great. Um, go Outside and Drive is where you guys, that's where you guys really got I mean, that's when Save His Soul came out. That's when yeah. you got me. I think Save His so. Soul is kind of the fan favorite of like hardcore Blues Traveler fans. Um, you think so? And that, well, it seems to be, but I wouldn't know. I mean, the first, what do you think? the first three are just uh, to me, and and, and I've, I've said this before, but uh, the first album is, you know, like like a lot of bands' first albums, they're they're, they're anthems, um, and and I I believe that the reason that that happens, the reason that the first album becomes so important for a band, I mean, you know, it's about anyway and Gina and. Um, all the songs, dropping some NYCs, be talking hippie, yeah. all the songs on that album. Uh, I think it's because the first album is basically a greatest hits from the first. That's exactly right. So many parts, so much of your life. Well, it's, um, it's you know, it's the songs you wrote. I mean, it's every song you've written for like three or four years leading up to when you get a chance to make your first record. Yeah. And a lot of the songs, all the crappy songs have been weeded out because you're playing live. I mean, we were playing live all the time. So yep. basically that was our live set, that first, that first album, all the best songs, the ones that rocked the crowd, the ones. So it, it's already, it had already been uh, cultivated and curated to a, uh, you know, a fine point. And you're so excited when you get in there, there's a certain, certain kind of energy for it. I think. Yeah. The passion of, of the younger person who's not been beaten down by life. Yeah, I mean, I think you just you just don't you, you just kind of there's a, it's a lot freer when you you take it a little more seriously later, which also I think gives you know later records a little more heft and a little more craft. Mm-hmm. But those first ones have usually have great songs and great energy. Yeah, I mean, usually when you ask an artist what their favorite album is, it's usually the last one they did. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to say if you ask me. It's probably Save a Soul. But, you know, Four, four has so many good uh, songs on it. It was so successful. It's hard not to love that because, you know, it bought, us, bought me a house. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then I'm really proud of the last one. So I'll take those three. Yeah. Save His Soul is a little harder than the rest. I mean, yeah. to me, that's, a, that's the one that stands out. It's, it's a little more. Oh, and, and I guess that's a question for you because, to me, just, just watching you guys, you were the, in in my mind, and I don't know this to be true, but in my mind, you were probably the one leading the band more towards hard rock. Is that true at all? Were you were you more into well, hard rock? Well, you know, than... as as the guitar player, me and Brendan, and Brendan, okay, yeah, me and Brendan were definitely more the like Led Zeppelin rock hard. I mean, we used to go see Anthem and all kinds of metal shows, and I mean, you know, we're we're definitely more the in that in that vein. Um, John's a little more Hendrix, and Bobby was a little more Grateful Dead. Yeah. Uh, okay. That all makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> but all right, man. Well, like I said, I know I have kept you uh, long. No worries at all. It's been great talking to you. Great questions, it, it, and uh, 
and we really are looking forward to getting out to the festival. All right, and we will be celebrating Chan's 50th birthday at summer camp, everyone. Uh, Can't wait again, to get to summer camp. Thanks for 30 years of, uh, of shows. I, I, I couldn't even begin to tell you how many it's been for me. Um, uh, and thank you, thank you very much for coming out to him. We appreciate it. Yeah. All right, man. Come well, say we, hello if you get the chance, Derek. I will do my best. Uh, I'm usually wandered around somewhere. Right on. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll probably, uh, I'll probably harass you a little bit at summer camp. Sounds good, Derek. All, All right, right thanks again, man. Nice talking to you. Yeah, you too. Bye. Okay, peace. That was another song of from Blues Traveler's newest album, Hurry Up and Hang Around. Uh, that was the song Accelerated Nation. Thanks again to Chan, who really made my day with this conversation. Uh, there were so many things I wanted to talk to him about. Uh, we, we did touch on their New Year's Eve shows, and I missed a perfectly good time to bring up this story. Uh, but I've always thought this was such a great story that I'm going to share it now. Uh, you can also find this in John Popper's book, Suck and Blow. I know many of you are Fish fans, and they obviously put on legendary New Year's Eve shows, and we all know about the 13-show residency in Madison Square Garden a couple years back. Uh, But in 1997, this was the peak of Blues Traveler's fame after the Grammys and being in the movies, uh, Fish had a hold on Madison Square Garden for New Year's Eve 1997. But John Popper and Blues Traveler uh, wanted to have the spot. Uh, So Fish had what's known as a first hold and Blues Traveler decided to challenge them, which meant that they had to put up half the money, which was over a half a million bucks. So that meant that Fish had 48 hours to respond, and they had to put all of their money down. So Blues Traveler timed the hold challenge to coincide with Fish's European tour, uh, when the band and the majority of their people were in Scotland for for a couple days. And so the band's accountant, however, was in town. Um, so just to distract him, uh, Popper or Blues Traveler uh, sent a stripper every 15 minutes for 8 hours to his office to read from Sammy Davis Jr.'s book Yes I Can um, in the end Fish's accountant was able to scrape together the money to keep uh, keep the venue for Fish but 
But it's a hell of a story, right? So, uh, well, that's it for me, folks. I'll, I'll be back in a couple weeks, and I have some great artists from the 2019 roster for you. Uh, here's uh, Blues Traveler playing the New York Prophecy at Summer Camp 2014 for our Jam of the Week. Be good, y'all.
Thank you.